Romans 10, verses 8 and 9. This is God's holy and infallible word. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're up to a promise this morning that's the greatest of all the promises in Scripture. It's the promise of salvation. And I'm referring it to this morning as the full package promise because in one way or another, all the other promises are contained in it. I want to talk about true peace for your life, wisdom, and all the rest aren't worth much without this promise. When we are reconciled to God in Christ, when we have salvation, then we can have all the other amazing promises of God too. The story goes of a man and a wife who were found frozen to death in their car. A blizzard had dumped tons of snow in the area, totally burying their vehicle. Before she died, uh, the woman wrote on a piece of paper of this note, stuffed it in the glove compartment, and, and it read, I don't want to die this way. Really tragically, they found out in the next days that less than, that less than six feet from this icy grave that they died in, there was a stranded bus whose festive passengers remained warm and safe throughout the night. That their safety, that salvation, that life was so close to them. And the reality is that this promise of salvation is near us. It's close by each one of us. And it gives us life. Not just life now, but life for all eternity. And we we don't want to miss it. Martin Luther wrote, the life of Christianity consists of possessive pronouns. He said it's one thing to say Christ is a Savior. It's a totally different thing to say He is my Savior. He is my Lord. The devil can say the first one, Christ is a Savior, but only a true Christian can say the second. And, and as a pastor, more than anything else, my desire for people, my desire for you is to be able to say from the heart, Jesus is my Lord. May each one of us be able to claim this promise that is the full package of what God has for his people. We're going to unpack it together, all right? First, we see its urgent invitation. The urgent invitation. Believe is the call. The promise, our main verse is verse 9. Believe isn't the first thing that's stated in verse 9, but it is first in priority. The verse first talks about confession with our mouth, and that's vital, but it's more a natural consequence of believing. That's not the primary calling here. The invitation to believe is all over Scripture. John 3.16 and 17. Whoever believes 
will be saved. Acts 16, verse 31, Paul says to the jailer there in Philippi, believe and you will be saved. And right near our verses, Romans 9, 30, 10, verse 4, righteousness in Jesus is by faith. It's for everyone who believes. And 10, verse 11, anyone who trusts or believes in him. So God's word calls us to faith urgently again and again. It's an invitation with the promise. If you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. And this faith is something of the heart. Paul says if you believe in your heart, our heart believes. Our heart embraces God's word and relies on the Lord with the childlike trust. The Bible describes our heart as the most central part of our whole being. It's where everything comes together. Our feelings, our desires, our thoughts, our understanding, our will. The heart is our center, as Pastor Joe Stoll once put it. God's word invites us to give our hearts to Jesus. Second, we see its overflowing fruit. And that's the first part of verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, confession or profession is the fruit. It's the overflow. It's the result of salvation. It sounds like it's a condition, if, but I think we can best understand confessing with our mouth more of a natural consequence of believing. True faith will result for sure in outward confession. We might even say that faith in our hearts is one side of the salvation coin and confession with our mouths is the other side. The Bible doesn't think you can have one without the other. You might wonder about that. Is that confession with our mouths necessary? Aren't actions louder than words? Do we really have to express our faith with our mouths? And the answer is yes. People of faith can't help let what's in our hearts come out. And so the church has always called Christians to profess their faith. Every spring, we celebrate a number of students doing that, and some did a few months ago. We praise God for that profession. It's a fruit of their salvation. And we confess with our mouths in other ways besides that most critical profession of faith in public worship, too. We're doing it when we share what Jesus means to us with others, when we tell him what he's done. We confess him when we pray to him. And I think some of us, we can feel a little shy about this confessing with our mouths. We don't feel we do a great job of it. But there are all sorts of ways to confess. You don't have to preach a sermon to your friends or your kids or your spouse or someone on the street to confess with your mouth. In fact, it's probably best not to preach a sermon. You can confess with your mouth in all sorts of ways. You know what I hear all the time, and it's not a bad saying. I see it on Facebook. We say it to one another. Life is good. 
How about saying something with a little more substance, something that expresses actually what you believe a little more? God is good, isn't he? When someone is sharing good news with you, say, praise the Lord. You don't have to shout it, but you could. Say, praise the Lord, praise God. That's confessing them with your mouth. When, when someone is struggling, whether it's a believer or maybe someone even who's not, you say, how, how can I pray for you? I know a God who hears and answers prayers. I know him personally. I talk to him every day. Let me pray for you right now. Let what's in your heart naturally flow out with your lips. The verse talks about confession with our mouth, but we know we confess and we profess him with our whole lives. We do it when we come to worship. The Apostle Paul says we're proclaiming God's death, Jesus' death, when we have the Lord's Supper. That's a proclamation. We're here at the Lord's Supper in worship. That's confessing Jesus. We confess Jesus in how we conduct our business, in how we associate with our neighbors, in helping those in need, in the way we're handling hard times that come our way. Confessing Jesus with our mouths is especially the point of our verse. And it's the overflowing fruit of the promise of salvation. Another item in this package is the rich content of the promise of salvation. What we confess is that Jesus is Lord, and what we believe is that God raised him from the dead. There's content there. Faith isn't wishy-washy. Faith isn't a feeling. We're not saved by just believing, but we're saved by believing in something. We're saved by believing in someone. And what Paul gives us here is a summary of the faith. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the person of Jesus. He is Lord and the work of Jesus, the resurrection. Jesus as Lord, that's a summary of everything Jesus is. Kurios is the Greek word for Lord. It was used to translate God's personal name in the Old Testament, Yahweh. So that tells you something. Jesus is Lord means Jesus is God. Roman Caesars took on themselves, they told people to call them kurios. But Jesus is Lord of Lords, the supreme authority, the supreme being in person, That's what we confess. We have something called the Supreme Court in our nation. You know, that only works if the court is claiming limited supremacy, which I think, I know, was the intent of our founding fathers, by far most of whom saw us as a nation under God. And we see things in our nation Recent attitudes, recent actions make us wonder whether the Supreme Court is that titles get into their head. Jesus alone is supreme. Jesus alone is Lord. We bow the knee to Him before any nation, any ruler, any court, 
And that lordship of his, his rule, his supreme rule, his design extends to every area of our lives. Marriage, justice, life. Jesus is Lord has incredibly profound implications. And when we as individuals live in our own life day by day, or as a nation as a whole, think or act or give the attitude like we're supreme, that's going to lead to ruin. But under his lordship, that's how you thrive. That's how a nation will thrive. That's how a family and a church will thrive. Under God, under our Lord, that's how people of faith live. Paul mentions the resurrection, and that points to all of Jesus' work, everything he did. Because if Jesus arose, well, he died. And if he died, he lived. If he lived on this earth, he came from heaven. All of that which he did, he did for our salvation. He did it to atone for the sins of people like you and me. And when we put our faith in him and his finished work, there specifically in Jesus... He's the content of the faith. Then we are saved. Something else a part of this package is the glorious fulfillment of the promise of salvation. You notice we read, it reads, you will be saved. Right? Will be is future tense. What future? When in the future? What's Paul talking about? Well, The Bible tells us that an end-time judgment is coming. Those who do not belong in Jesus, who do not believe, who are not covered by his blood, will pay the penalty for sin. Salvation, this promise of salvation, it's saving from something. And we need saving from the coming judgment and eternal punishment for sin and hell that the Bible talks about. The promise and the assurance is that all who believe in Jesus will be saved from that. It's a narrow way, in a sense. The Bible only knows of one way, through Jesus. But the way is clear, plain as can be. If you do this, you will be saved. This way will never fail. There's no question about it. There will be a glorious fulfillment of this promise when Jesus returns on the clouds and takes all his children to be with them forever. And of course, the will be saved. The future salvation makes a difference today. We are saved now. We're safe in Jesus now. No matter what happens between this day and the end of our life, or the end of time. And his salvation changes how we live day by day. We also find, as we look at Scripture, the gracious foundation of this promise. The gracious foundation. I'm bringing this up because we kind of think about this if language. If this, then that. How do we take that? Is God, whose love is unconditional, 
without condition, suddenly putting a condition on our salvation? Is our salvation up to us? Well, certainly, we have to take God's invitation to believe very seriously. It's a genuine call. We must respond. We must believe to be saved. But that it does not mean that our faith, our believing, is the basis for our salvation. Our faith is not the foundation. Because that would make our faith a kind of work that we do, which the Bible says can never save us. Only Jesus can save. It's only by God's grace. It's only by his mercy, not through anything we've done. And even that faith is a gift of God's grace. We love because he first loved us. And so grace alone is the foundation of our salvation. And then with that faith we're given, we're called to believe, to cling to Jesus, to trust him with all our hearts, to confess him as Lord. Our faith is best understood as the instrument of salvation. We are saved through faith, not by faith. And I've always found it helpful to think of faith this way. Human faith is like the hose you use to water your gardens. What makes those plants live? The water or the hose? Well, of course, it's the water. The water brings life to the plants. But the hose is necessary to get the water there. God's grace is the water. Our faith is that hose. Faith is the necessary instrument that we are called by God to use. Believe, says the Bible. But it's not the basis of salvation. That's God's grace. And that helps us see the foundation of salvation is not in anything that's great in us or what we could do. It's in the grace of God. Two more items to unpack out of this promise today. A sixth, we can pull out of this package the missional thrust of the promise. Both of these last two are from verse 8, which leads into our main verse 9. Verse 8, Paul says, this is what we are proclaiming. If you believe, you confess, you're saved. This is what the apostles, this is what Paul was preaching and sharing. So this is a promise to share. And by its very nature, churches and Christians, we are in the line of the apostles. We don't want to keep it to ourselves. We let the world know. We have an evangelism committee in our church, and that's great. That's good. But at the very center of who we are in all our parts, in everything, in all that we do, is that we are a proclaiming people. This word, this promise of salvation is going out from us. We witness. We tell the good news. We support ministries that are telling the good news, and we do it ourselves. We want the lost to be saved. We want people on the road to destruction to believe and come over to the road of life. We want people to know the freedom and the joy of living with Jesus as Lord, that you and I know 
and are living in. Not perfectly, we're messing up sometimes, but the joy and the freedom of Jesus as Lord. You know something of that, don't you? We're growing in it together. We proclaim it. We share it. It's inherent in the promise. One more piece. We see the inherent accessibility of the promise of salvation. Let me explain what I mean by this. This might just be the coolest of all. Paul's quoting Deuteronomy 30 when he says in verse 8, the word is near you. The word is near you. The word of salvation, faith. We didn't read it and we're not getting all into it. We will at some point in the future when we hit this in our Roman series, I'm sure. But Paul been talking about profound and and lofty things like the righteousness of God and, and being reconciled. And, and in the previous chapter, he's talking about the future of Israel. What does that mean? And who is Israel? And he says in verse 6, Do not say that this righteousness, this life in God, that it's too remote, that it's beyond your reach, that it can't be attained, that it's too deep for you to descend to, that it's too high up there for us to reach and ascend to. And it all means, brothers and sisters, that God has made salvation within your reach. It's not something that's far away. Salvation is as close as this, your own heart and your own lips. And salvation just asks for a simple response to what God has already done. And with that response of faith comes salvation. God's word of salvation is as close as your own heart, as close as your own mouth. I mean, that's as close as a promise of God can possibly be, isn't it? Right here. And the time to own this promise and to receive it, to respond, it's not next year, it's not next week, it's not tomorrow, it's now. It's an urgent invitation. There was someone who did some speculating and described the devil and his cohorts devising plans to get people to reject the gospel of Jesus. So there's this meeting going on. Let's go to them and let's say there is no God, one proposed. There was silence. They knew that wouldn't work. Every devil knew that most people believe, have to believe in some sort of a supreme being. Let's tell them there is no hell. Let's tell them there is no future punishment for the wicked. That was turned down too because people obviously have consciences which tell them that there has to be a result to sin and evil in this world. This gathering was going to end in failure when a voice came from the rear. Tell them there is a God, there is a hell. Tell them even that the Bible is the word of God, but tell them there is plenty of time to decide the question. Let them neglect the gospel until it's too late. 
And all of hell erupted with ghoulish glee, for they knew that if a person procrastinated on Jesus Christ, they usually never accepted him. How about you this morning? Do you believe? Will you believe? God's word is right there, as close as your own heart. I'd encourage you not to delay, but to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart in Jesus. Maybe you do believe in your heart, and it's time to confess with your mouth by making profession of your faith. Come talk to me or Pastor Matthew. Come to those over in room one who are there every Sunday morning after worship for prayer. Pray the prayer of salvation. Pray it anew. Be sure that you believe in Jesus. This promise of salvation, it's urgent invitation, it's overflowing fruit, it's rich content, it's glorious fulfillment, it's gracious foundation, its missional thrust, and its inherent accessibility. And that means by its very nature, God's word, God's promise is near. It's right there for the taking because of his grace, even for you today. Amen.